James chapter 4, and this morning we're just going to be looking at uh, verses 11 and 12, but I'll begin a reading at verse 1 of James 4 through verse 12. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come for your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to You for Your word. We thank You that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And we thank you that you promise to uh, give your spirit and that your spirit goes forth with your word. That we might have insight and understanding. And we pray that even now as your spirit uh, leads us and guides us and opens our hearts and our minds to see the truth that is here. That you would enable us to uh, understand, to be able to apply it to our own hearts, to our own lives, to be equipped, to be faithful servants for your glory. And we pray, Father, that especially that your word would find within each of us um, that good soil that bears great and abundant fruit for your word, for your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we have been considering here in this letter of James that he writes to the, to these scattered about, that they are a people who are greatly troubled. And again, we remember that those that whom he's writing were very likely refugees who uh, had fled uh, from Jerusalem and Judea because of the outbreak of persecution uh, against the church that we see in those early uh, chapters of the book of Acts. And uh, they've now gone to these various Jewish communities of the dispersion, that is those uh, places throughout the Mediterranean region where uh, the Jews were sent during periods of captivity uh, and then some 
uh, never returned to uh, to Israel, and they stayed in these far-off places. And so these refugees go uh, to look for a place of, of refuge, to escape persecution, but also they're bringing with them the gospel. But there is great trouble that they endure. And if the trouble is not coming from persecution and oppression from those outside... Well, it's then coming, the troubles and the strife come from within the community, and that this continues to plague the people. James has challenged them to be consistent with their faith and how they live, and especially to remember what he called the royal law back in chapter 2, verse 8. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He basically was saying, look, if you would be faithful to do just this much, to love your neighbor as yourself, well, then you would be doing well. But as we've seen from the beginning of chapter 4, he mentions that there are fights and wars and quarrels that rage among the body of believers. And this is often driven by bitter envy and jealousy. And these disputes can quickly get out of hand, even resulting in personal attacks with brother slandering and judging brother. Indeed, in chapter 4 here, James has been seeking to redirect them to what they ought to be doing, which is sowing seeds of righteousness and peace, instead of living in these disruptive ways. And then here in these verses before us this morning, James particularly addresses these personal attacks. And he warns them of really the greater danger that they're putting themselves in when they speak evil of or judge their brothers. Verse 11, James says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Now there are two sinful actions here that James mentions. And though they're connected and have ultimately the same consequence, we're first going to consider them separately. And so what does James mean here by speaking evil of one another? Well, the word here for speaking evil is sometimes translated slander. Like to slander someone means to speak ill of them and, and say things about them that aren't true. And we know, for example, that slander, libel, or defamation are punishable offenses in the civil courts. Right? If it can be proven that someone accused you or said bad things about you that were untrue and without grounds and that somehow uh, disrupted maybe your, your life, your reputation, or your business, or whatever it might be. We know wild and false accusations abound in our society today, especially on social media, which uh, certainly enables people to often speak without thinking and so doing foolishly. And we'll see this, of course, increase, especially as we're in this time of year, as we're drawing closer to election season. Right? You have attack ads can often push the envelope on slander and defamation as, as candidates really avoid talking about the real issues and instead they focus on assaulting their opponent's character and, and their reputation. And this becomes so prevalent that we, again, we're, we almost expect it 
even though no one wants to hear it. We kind of sit around waiting for it to happen. But speaking evil of someone doesn't have to necessarily be restricted to slander and spreading false rumors about someone. Gossip, which differs slightly from slander in that it can often involve something true but is whispered about and shared in secret, often going places where it ought not to go. Well, gossip too can be seen as speaking evil of someone, talking about them behind their back. You can also speak evil to someone when you question or challenge their legitimate authority. Right? Ridiculing them or speaking disrespectfully in an attempt to undermine that authority by causing others to perhaps question and doubt. Remember that this is what the scribes and the Pharisees often attempted to do with Jesus in front of the crowds when they kind of threw these landmine questions at him in order to trip him up in his words. They were looking to discredit his authority and his influence among the people. Well, this was a way that they were speaking evil of him. But we, of course, know that Christ's authority was legitimate, and yet here were the scribes and Pharisees looking to undermine it. And so basically anything, whether it's true or untrue, whether it's said publicly or in secret, that it has the intent to tear down a person, to kill their character, to destroy their reputation, that is what we mean here and what James means here by speaking evil. Speaking evil then is ultimately the untamed tongue running rampant, seeking to devour and destroy whatever comes in its path. But there's often a a point to all this speaking evil and slander. The point, just like those mudslinging political campaigns, the point is to not only destroy and undermine your opponent's character, but also at the same time, you're going to exalt yourself. And so it's like killing two birds with one, one stone. You're debasing others while exalting yourself. Now, as offensive and distasteful as this is, well, we can expect this in the world, right? We can expect this out there where the wisdom of the world is driven by bitter envy, jealousy, and all forms of sinful pleasure-seeking. But we have to remember what James is saying here. He's talking about these things not happening out there in the world, but about in here. In the church. In the covenant community of God's people. Christian brother was rising up against Christian brother. Speaking lies. Falsely accusing. Gossiping about. Ridiculing and undermining one for whom Christ died. While at the same time. Exalting themselves and presumptuously claiming to be Christ. And to bear the name of Christ. But it ought not to be this way. This is what James just warned about. Slander and speaking evil of others is again a display of pride, arrogance, and the exaltation of self. The very things which God is opposed to. Now what a challenge to us. To be particularly mindful of how we speak of others. Now certainly we know it's true. Or that that we should know that we're to avoid 
all lies and rumors, gossiping and backbiting, right? These commands are quite clear in the Scriptures. But we also know that there are times when we're called to admonish one another, to rebuke, to correct, to reprove others. There are times when we may have a valid complaint or criticism. But how do we voice such things? Do we do it with whispers and in secret? Do we do it with evil and malicious intent? May it never be. You see, there's an appropriate place and time. And there certainly is an appropriate manner in which we're to do these things in love. And also with the best interests of others at heart. And not our own self-interests of envy, jealousy, revenge, pride, anger, or selfishness. James urges here, do not speak evil of one another. You are brothers in Christ. You have the same Heavenly Father, and you've been bought and purchased with the same precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't abuse one another in this way. And that's James' caution to us. But in the second part of verse 11, James adds a different dimension to speaking evil of your brother. Not only should you not speak words of destruction about your brother, but you should also refrain from judging your brother and condemning him. Now, a judge is one who weighs all the facts and evidence and declares innocent or guilty. Well, too often people are quick to uh, judge guilty, and they often do so without considering all the facts and all the evidence. They often do so uh, without relying on the truth, but they rely on lies and half-truths and faulty impressions. And so there's no balance. There's no concern for justice or fairness. Only a desire to condemn and punish. Now at this point we have to pause for a moment and consider what we've been studying here in James. You see, how can James here warn against judging others when he himself has done this very thing? Right? Didn't he just call them adulterers and adulteresses? Didn't he just call them sinners and, and double-minded? Now those sound like some pretty severe judgments. And of course this is all even highlighted all the more with the sudden toned down language again as he returns to brethren. Right? He hasn't used that word. He used it several times. Nine times I think it was in the first three chapters. He hasn't used it all so far in chapter 4. But he's had these harsh condemnations of judgment. And now all of a sudden... When he's warning them and speaking to them about uh, not to judge one another, he suddenly calls them brethren again. Well, before we go judging James, we should clarify what it is that he's talking about when he speaks of judging. See, judging 
and making a distinction isn't condemned in Scripture as something that we should never do. Right? In matters, of, for example, matters of church discipline, the elders are called to make judgments regarding whether a person has sinned or not. And we know that everyone is called to to judge a teaching, to judge any teaching by the standard of the Scripture, to see whether it's orthodox or not, whether it's true or false. We're also to use the Scriptures as a guide to show us what's right and what's wrong, what's sinful and what's good in God's sight. And as James has emphasized in this letter, it's important, again, to not just take someone's word for it, But we are called to judge and assess their profession of faith based on their words and their deeds. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruits. So we don't just take what someone says as as a solid truth. We see how they live it out. If they make a profession of faith, we say, okay, well that's good, but how are you living it? And we look for the fruits and we can judge those fruits. And so making distinctions and judgments like this are important. They're even necessary at times. And this is what many people misunderstand, right, about the Bible and about the teaching of Jesus. In fact, perhaps one of the the verses that most non-Christians know by heart and can uh, quote in an instant is Matthew 7, verse 1, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And you hear people quote this all the time, but they're quoting it as a way to protect themselves from having their own sin called out. But you see, they're totally disregarding the context and what Jesus was teaching there in Matthew 7. See, in that passage, Jesus isn't saying that we should never make judgments. He isn't saying that we shouldn't call sin, sin. No, he's warning about the hypocrisy of those who are quick to judge others without first examining their own hearts with their own sinfulness. Which is often the people who quote this, that's the very thing that they're doing. They're making a judgment against you without examining their own hearts and their own sin. Because in that same passage, Jesus talks about that you need to deal with the log that's in your own eye before you try to pick the speck out of someone else's eye. So He doesn't say that you're not to uh, take the speck out of somebody's eye. No, you first got to deal with the log in your own eye. Deal with that first, and then you can go and help and assist others. So our chief concern ought not to be pointing out everyone else's sin. See, because we have plenty of sin on our own to deal with. And that's Jesus' concern in that passage. But again, there are times when it's important to make a judgment. There are times when we need to call sin, sin. Now how this is done is critical. As Jesus says in in John 7, verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge. Right? Jesus is saying that you need to judge, but you need to judge with righteous judgment. And so we're to make judgments. But our judgments shouldn't be rash and superficial. They should be based on righteousness and truth. 
But as we make these judgments, we must also realize that we are also sinful people ourselves. And that the judgments that we make are fallible. That is, they could be wrong. See, we may not have the whole story. There may be evidence that we've missed. We can't judge and condemn someone else because we don't, and in fact, we can't know their hearts. Again, we can call sin, sin. And we can warn others that the fruit they're bearing is dead and worthless and that sin will ultimately lead to death and eternal judgment, but we can't ultimately judge and condemn them to that judgment. That's not our place. We can look at the fruit of their lives and say, that's not right. But we can't condemn them to eternal judgment. And so this seems to be what James is addressing here. And again, what was making it worse was that this judging and condemning was happening with brother against brother in the household of faith. And it ought not to be that way. And so again, we need to be mindful when we make such judgments. First, we need to consider if it's even necessary and needful to make those judgments. Because a lot of times it's not. But after we determine, okay, it's needful to say something, well then we must recognize first, before we even say anything, that we will be judged by the very same standard. And friends, that alone ought to give us great pause before we go around and judge someone else or call someone else out. Doesn't mean that we can't do it, but we need to be mindful of these things. But we should also consider the goal and purpose in making such judgments. We make those kinds of judgments when we call sin, sin, when we uh, seek to uh, warn someone about the, the, the dead fruit that they're bearing in their lives. Is it because of our love for them? Is it because we truly and sincerely fear for their lives and their souls that we want to uh, point out their sin and call them to repentance? Indeed, this is what James was doing earlier. When he called them adulterers and sinners. He loves these people. And he's made that very clear. But he's concerned. Truly concerned about how they were living. And so is that your intent and purpose? In order to call this out? To make these judgments? In order to restore a brother? Or is it like slander where you want to condemn them to destruction as you exalt yourself in self-righteousness to show that they're wrong and you're right. And unfortunately, that's oftentimes the case. And it's this latter judgment is what Jesus and James are condemning and forbidding, especially when it's directed at a brother or sister in Christ. For by judging your brother in such a way, You're condemning to hell one for whom Christ died. And so we ought not to speak evil of them. We ought not to judge them. Well, this then leads to the consequences of speaking evil of and and judging your brother, as James warns 
In the rest of verse 11, he says, He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Well, first we need to consider what is what the law is that he's talking about. And, and then secondly, what does he mean here that you speak evil of and judge the law? Well, the law that James is referring to would be the moral law of God, and specifically the summary of the moral law, which he previously referred to as the royal law back in chapter 2. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, how to treat one another, especially how to treat brothers and sisters in Christ, has been a significant theme throughout this letter. But here it's especially emphasized in the immediate context of fights and quarrels taking place in the church. And also, though James has used the term brother in his warnings about slander and judging in verse 11, he shifts in verse 12, who are you to judge another? That is, one who is near, even as some translations have, your neighbor. And so the connection to the royal law is becomes clear. James is speaking of the duty we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is even further confirmed when we see the context of this law when it was first given back in Leviticus chapter 19. Three verses before uh, we're told in Leviticus 19 to love your neighbor as yourself, we have this command, these other commands in verse 15 of Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty in righteousness. You shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer or a slanderer among your people. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And then it goes on to say that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so obviously James has not only the teaching of Jesus on his mind, but also this passage in Leviticus as it's talking about the very same thing, about loving your neighbor, but then also there's times when we may need to judge our neighbor and how we do that. So how then does... So he's talking about this royal law. But how does judging your brother lead to becoming a judge and speaking against this royal law? Well, if you're speaking evil of your brother, if you're judging and condemning him in order to advance yourself, well then you're certainly not loving him as the, Lord, as the law commands you to love him. In fact, by treating your brother in Christ's way, it's as though you're deliberately choosing to disobey this law and disregard it. It's as if you're saying... Well, this law doesn't apply to me. I don't need to follow it. I'm, I'm free to just cast it off. In fact, I judge that this law is actually beneath me. And I exalt myself above it. By judging your brother, you put yourself in judgment over the law. By disregarding it and speaking against it by your words and your actions. Again, we can expect this from the world. right? And as we sang earlier in Psalm 2, 
of the heathen kings and the rulers of the world. This is exactly what they do, what they seek to do. To see, they seek to uh, cast off the law of God. And to, to become judges over the law of God. Because they find it too burdensome in their selfish pursuits. And of course, if the rulers are doing this and setting this example, well, their citizens are doing the very same thing. And of course, we see that all around where people are casting off God's law in order to pursue uh, lustful desires of their heart and reckless, with reckless abandon. They don't want to be judged or condemned. They want to revel in their lawlessness. That's why they, they quote that verse in, in Matthew 7. I don't want you to judge me. You can't judge me. Because I'm above the law. And I can do what I want. I cast off God. I cast off His law. And of course, if that isn't bad enough, and we see the efforts to now impose this kind of lawlessness even upon those who would have none of it. But again, this is the world. And we know that the world and the spirit at work on the world is an enemy of God, and so we should expect this. And that's why we have these examples in the Scriptures to show us that this is what happens when people cast off the Lord and cast off His law. But again, James is speaking of those in the church. Those who are in danger of exalting themselves above God's law by slandering and judging their brothers are those who claim the name of Christ. And they may even claim to live a moral life. But if they're not loving their brother and their neighbors as themselves, then they're merely picking and choosing which laws they're going to obey and which they think are unimportant and unnecessary to follow. And so they put themselves above the law. But there's another consequence. You see, if, if you disregard the law and exalt yourself above it, obviously you're not going to keep it. As James says here, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Again, consider what James has said previously about the importance of being a doer of the law, not a hearer. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest you deceive yourselves. And so if you don't do the law because you exalt yourself over the law, saying, well, this doesn't apply to me, well, then you're deceiving yourself as your profession and faith is quickly called into question. James also addressed this in chapter 2, warning that faith without works is dead. If you disregard God's law and don't do it, then what works do you have to show your faith is a true and living faith? Where is the fruit that you're called to bear in your lives? You have none. Because your faith is dead and useless. And it's really no faith at all. So note the irony here. <clears throat> An irony with very severe implications. See, those James's warning have judged and condemned their brothers. And very likely they're doing this by charging them falsely as violators of the law. And yet, 
by their very actions of slander and making these kinds of unjust judgments, they themselves have shown their own disregard for God's law. And they're the ones who violated the law. And now, much to their surprise, James points out that they're in greater danger of being condemned by the law because they've exalted themselves not only above the law, but also above the law giver. And James makes this point clear in verse 12. There is one law giver who is able to save and destroy. And so the great danger of pride, envy, jealousy, and arrogance isn't just that you exalt yourselves over your brothers and sisters in Christ, slandering them and acting as their judge. Nor is it that you're, by these actions, placing yourself above the law. But ultimately, the greater danger is that by treating your brother without love, patience, and understanding, you're actually putting yourself in the place of God, the lawgiver. And so really, it's the culmination of the idolatry of self that James has been warning about. James asserts that there's only one lawgiver and judge, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. He alone sits as lawgiver, giving His commands, telling us in His Word what we must do and what we must not do. He's the King who's given us the royal law. But in His exalted righteousness, Jesus also sits as supreme judge over all the earth. And we'll all appear before His judgment seat on that last great day. And how will He find us? As one who submitted to His law, who sought to love Him, and to love our neighbor, and to love our brothers, or as one who maybe professed the name of Christ, and yet exalted ourselves above God's law and even above God's Christ. We know that it is Christ alone who will be the one that will declare on that day, it won't be us, it won't be anybody else. It will be Christ alone who will say to those on His right, these are the godly ones, the pure and the holy They're pure and holy because I've purchased them with my own blood. Enter then into the kingdom prepared for you. And enjoy your eternal reward. Those who, not only the professors of His truth, but the doers of His truth. But then to those on His left, Christ alone is the one who will declare that these are guilty workers of lawlessness and iniquity. The ones who may have even claimed my name and yet lived lawlessly and exalted themselves above my law and even above me. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me into the eternal fire. Christ alone is the holy lawgiver and judge. He will make these judgments. No one will usurp His authority from Him. They won't do it now, and they certainly are not going to do it on that last great day. 
And so James' question at the end of verse 12 then is meant to to give us pause. To give pause to anyone who would dare tread down such a path. But who are you to judge another? Who are you, lowly creature, who would dare exalt yourself above the Lord God and His law and His Christ? If you slander your brother or judge your sister in Christ unjustly, you put yourself in the dangerous position of exalting yourself into God's position. And know then that such pride and arrogance will surely be opposed on that great day. But indeed, by God's grace, brothers and sisters, humble yourselves before the Lord then. Call upon His name in faith. Love your neighbor, especially those who are your brethren in Christ. And fulfill this royal law in your lives to the glory of God alone, and He will surely exalt you with Christ on that last great day. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to You for this reminder, this important reminder. We pray that You would give us the wisdom to be discerning. We know that there are times when we need to make judgments, when we need to call sin, sin, when we need to even correct and reprove our brothers and sisters in Christ. But may we do that with a true and sincere heart, with a desire out of great love for them, out of a concern for uh, their souls. And not for any selfish reason. Lord, we pray that we would not do such a thing to bring one down in order to exalt ourselves. Because when we do so, we put ourselves over them, over your law, and even over you. Father, we pray that you would keep us from from this great evil and this wickedness and that we would be mindful of these things. That we would be cautious in the judgments that we must make. And that you would give us wisdom to discern whether the judgment should be made or not and with what motive, and what motivates us. May it all be for your glory and your praise and your honor because we love you and because we love our brother and sister in Christ. Father, we just pray that as we strive to fulfill these things, relying fully upon Your grace to do so, that You would further unite us and knit us together as a body in Christ, and that You would help us to be faithful witnesses to those around us, that they would see this evident love that we have for one another, that they would be drawn to it, that they would ask us for a reason of the hope that is in us and for the love that we have for one another, and that we'll be open with the gospel, that they too might join with us in this chorus of praise and thanksgiving. We pray, Father, that you would truly impress these truths upon our hearts by your Spirit, drawing us all closer to yourself, all to the praise of your glorious name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.